Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Tomorrow is September 11th, and we have, uh, historically this weekend, had just a special prayer for our nation, for our country, as we do so, as we remember those uh, devastating times that also we realize today throughout our land, there are many people in very, very difficult situations, very deadly situations, and we've all, I know, been uh, attuned to that. Uh, we have some uh, uh, sister churches in our fellowship on both coasts in Florida. We have loved ones down there. And we have uh, families, have family in Houston and Louisiana. And so we want to continue to uh, lift our nation up in prayer. And I'd like to ask you just to join me in prayer for a few moments before we uh, dismiss the children and go to the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we just pause this morning and we, we give you thanks that we live in a nation uh, that uh, has provided us an opportunity to have the freedom of worship. And Lord, uh, we gather today without fear. We are not afraid of anybody coming and breaking up our assembly, of arresting pastors and leaders for teaching your word, forbidding us to speak your word. Around this world today, we have brothers and sisters who every week gather with that possibility. We pray for them as well. We are one in the body of Christ. We lift our brothers and sisters up who are in very difficult places today. We do think of our own nation, and we we think of those, especially today, Lord, who are in harm's way, who uh, have had to evacuate their homes. And uh, I also think, Lord, of our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who are there uh, not only uh, for their safety, but for their ministry, their opportunity to reach out the love of Jesus Christ, uh, to open their homes and shelters, to uh, help one another, to be together with others, and to... Uh, just share in your name uh, what you mean to them and the hope that we have. And we just pray for all, and we pray for safety. When we pray for our nation, Lord, uh, we, we we pray for those who, who defend our uh, freedoms, and we pray for those who respond first when we have emergencies here in our own neighborhoods and our own homes. And Lord, we also pray uh, for the churches and pastors and elders and leaders and teachers and servants uh, in every walk of our country, every corner, every branch of the military, every branch of government, every political party, every neighborhood. Uh, Lord, there are believers who you have placed there, including us, that we can serve, we can share with the love of Christ, the compassion of Christ, and bring the hope of the gospel as well. So we lift our nation up to you today. We pray for our leaders. We are told in the Bible to pray for our leaders, to pray for their wisdom, for their righteousness. We lift them up both nationally, in our state, in our communities, in our own neighborhoods. And Father, as we come now and open your word, uh, we pray for ourselves, that our hearts would be open to your word, that your word would be heard this morning, not just my words or the anybody else's. You've prepared our hearts through worshiping, through song today, to hear your words, and we continue to worship, and we ask your blessing on our children as they continue to learn together. We thank you for the privilege of not only having them here with us, but to teach them, to lead them, and to model for them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen.
It used to be, you know, in the old days, the first Sunday of September was rally day. And that was a big day back to church and Sunday school. And uh, today, um, the fall is, is, is uh, travel time. So a lot of people are traveling. we got a lot of people away from home today. And we'll pray for them uh, for safe journeys and return to us. And if you're traveling this fall, we pray for safe journeys for you and wonderful time of relaxation as well. On my shelf, uh, both at home, my shelves at home and here, I have several multi-volume sets of books. And it's usually because of two reasons. One is, for example, in my theology books and so forth, it's generally because there's too much for one volume, right? So they just simply print several volumes so you get it all in. There are also those who write two-volume um, series, usually novels most of the time, not always. But some years ago, I read a, a two-volume series, volume one and volume two, by Herman Wolk, a Jewish author who's written several really fine works of fiction. And uh, they, they are titled Winds of War and War, of Remem- and, War and Remembrance. Maybe some of you have read those or seen the miniseries, okay? Um, and uh, was, that was back in, the, I think, the 70s or so on or whatever, the, the 80s maybe, the miniseries. But uh, there was volume one, The Winds of War, was about the events leading up to World War II, okay? Volume two, War and Remembrance, were the historical events of the war itself. And it was, it's a historical novel, but it's, it's historical that the, the facts of the stories are true, the characters are fiction, but he transverses all the theaters of the war and all that took place. Um, because he is Jewish, of course, the Holocaust uh, figured very, very prominently in this story because several of the characters were Jewish. Um, but he wrote a, so, and I read them backwards. I read volume two first, and then I went back and read volume one. Um, and it's better not to do that, but that's what I did. Okay. So in, so in volume two, he wrote a preface to the first edition of volume two. And I want to just read a little bit of it. War and Remembrance is a historical romance. The subject is World War II, the viewpoint American. A prologue, The Winds of War, published in 1971, set the historical frame for this work by picturing events leading up to Pearl Harbor. This is a novel of America at war, from Pearl Harbor to Hiroshima. It is the main tale tale I had to tell. While I naturally hope that some readers, even in this rushed age, and this was back in the late 1970s, okay, will find the time for both novels... War and Remembrance is a story in itself and can be read without the prologue. The theme of both novels is single. The theme is single. The last words of Victor Henry's commentary in the Battle of Leyte Gulf give it plainly enough. Either war is finished or we are. These two linked novels tend to one conclusion. And then he goes on to talk about um, the war and, you know, the possibility of ending war and so forth. And then at the very end, he just simply says, the beginning of the end of war lies in remembrance. And that was written in 1978 by Herman Wolk. I read that to you as a just a, a reminder this morning as we go to our series from the book of Acts, which we're going to begin today, that, uh, you know, Herman Wolk wrote two novels. 
You didn't have to read the first one to appreciate the second one, but it would be nice. But in order to make that bridge, he has a prologue that links the two together to give you a little bit of background as you enter into it. So today, we're going to begin a study in our both in the morning service and in Sunday school from adult, youth, and the children that went out of the service here a few minutes ago. We are all going to be studying from the same section of Acts, the first part of Acts, each Sunday. One of the reasons we do this is so that if you have children here, or if you come here with other people, um, you can discuss these things. You can talk about them. We'll provide some discussion questions and some thoughts, because we want everybody to be thinking along the same lines. And so this morning, I would like to ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and we're going to begin our look today just in the first part of chapter 1 is really an introduction and to lay some groundwork as we next week will continue to move through this uh, this book in the Bible. Acts chapter 1, so whoops, I got my, uh, here it is here, I'm going to try to sit in a cup up here, assuming the battery hasn't died, let's see if I can make this work. Um, it does not look good, Nathan, so I'm going to... Oh, it, did I do that or did you do that? I did it? All right, we're good then. Thanks. Okay. So I was hoping you did it in case any mistakes happened. I could say Nathan did it. So anyway, okay. So Luke and Acts, two volumes. Luke and Acts are two volumes of the same theme I'm going to suggest to you today from the Bible. Two volumes. I like, and, and so we, in both of them, we have a, whoopsie, there we go. I did it. I could have blamed Nathan, but I did. Okay. In both of those, we have an introduction. I would like you to read Acts chapter 1 first by way of introduction. Now you'll notice this book does not start, you know, I Paul, I Luke, and in fact, nowhere in the book does it say Luke wrote this. There is no place in Luke or in Acts where you're going to have a statement that says, I, Luke, am the author. It is anonymous, if you will, from from what we have been given. But there are some clues. And I notice here, in my former book, in volume one, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. It's interesting, the book ends speaking about the kingdom of God, at the very end, in Acts chapter 28, where, where the book ends with Paul in prison in Rome, it says he continued to preach and to teach to all who would hear him the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a big concept. It uncovers it, it everything. It, it, it is, a, it is the, you know, the universal thought, the kingdom of God, as used here. But there's also other aspects of it we'll see as we go through this book together. So that is the introduction. But you'll notice in the introduction, he refers to an individual, and he refers to a book he wrote to them, this person, before. The name Theophilus, um, some people think that maybe it it has a, well, it means loved by God. Loved by God in the Greek. 
uh, theos, theo, theology, right? Okay, study of God, loved by God. Some people even think that's just sort of a, um, a title for everybody, but I think it's a real person. It's a real person, loved or honored by God. So if you keep Acts chapter 1 open, I'm going to put Luke chapter 1 up here for you. This is how Luke chapter 1 begins. I want you to notice the similarities. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of things of things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the very first, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know that the certainty of the things you have been taught. Obviously, whoever wrote Acts wrote Luke, right? That's pretty clear. And so historically, so why do we think it is Luke? We'll come back to his thoughts here, but as early as 170 A.D., so, you know, we're going way back, very close to the scene. The early church clearly believed that Luke wrote both these epistles. And um, it's good evidence. It's, it's good history. I mean, this was way back, way back, within, within a couple, you know, little over a hundred little over 100 years from the time of writing, of concluding it, that the early church believed and understood, as just taken for granted, Luke was the author. And so this is why this has, this has stuck. Also, what do we know about Luke? You may have heard that Luke was a physician, right? That sometimes people will refer to him as Dr. Luke. The reason for that, primarily, is really two reasons. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul refers to his traveling companion, Luke the physician, Dr. Luke. In the books itself, he does use quite a few medical terms. That in itself does not prove he was a doctor, but you put those two together, and those who really you know understand the Greek language and the history and so on have noted this, that he uses a lot of medical terms a physician would, would use. A physician in Paul's day, and a physician in the time of the apostles, obviously training and so forth is different today, but in its day... The physicians of his day were well-trained, they were very well-schooled, they were very cultured, and this comes out in his writing. And so we believe that Luke wrote both Luke and Acts, and that what we have in chapter 1 of Acts is sort of this, like I read to you from Herman Wilkes, uh two volumes, sort of a, a prologue that says, now here's what I wrote to you in the, in the previous book, and we're going to continue this story now. You can read either one of them by themselves, and they make perfectly good sense. But in some ways, it's a little unfortunate they're separated by the book of John in our Bible, right? Because you can think of them as volume one, volume two, by Luke. You'll notice that we also read that he, he investigated these things carefully. He looked into this. He investigated it. You know, when we'll read later on in the book of Acts that while Paul was imprisoned in Caesarea for two years, which is 
which is, you know, from the, it's on the coast and Jerusalem is inland. We were there last spring. It's, they aren't that far apart. While Paul was in prison for two years, he tells us Luke was with him. So Luke had two years to do his investigation with first-hand accounts while he was in Palestine. He easily could have went and talked. And of course, we believe led by the Holy Spirit, right? We believe in the inspiration of scriptures. We believe, as the Bible says, that every word is inspired by God. But we also believe God used their own circumstances, their own character. We don't believe that the authors just sat down and started going like this and poof, there it was. We believe God used all those things to produce exactly what he wants us to have, right? Amen? 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 All right, good. We we stand very strong in that tradition at our church. And so, while Luke was there, he could have talked to the apostles that were still alive. He could have talked to Mary, who would have been an older woman at this time. After all, which gospel gives us the most detail from Mary's perspective of the birth of Jesus? Right? Isn't it Luke? So Luke had this opportunity and Luke and, and Luke could have carefully investigated all these things. And he, and he did so. With what purpose? That you might be certain of the things that you were taught, Theophilus. Whoever he is, whatever he did, we don't know any more about Theophilus than that. There are history, there's traditions. But he says, I want you to, I want you to be assured of this. I have investigated this. I've talked to these people. I did the research. And here's the story. And now in the book of Acts, obviously written after the book of Acts time frame takes place, he finishes the story. Luke and Acts, listen, Luke and Acts together comprise about one quarter of our New Testament. One quarter. So that is very significant. Both Luke and Acts each cover about 33 years. So this introduction here obviously is a connects it to Luke and you can see how the, the story flows and why they are connected. So let's we'll continue now to the next part of this introduction to Luke. Acts chapter one, verse four and five. Why don't you read this? On one occasion, he's continuing now after Jesus was on earth for forty days. On one occasion, while he was eating with them. He gave them this command. He commanded his disciples. So after Jesus rose from the dead, he was on earth for 40 days. So 40 is a significant number, right? 40 years in the wilderness, 40 days the spies are in the land. I mean, 40 days keeps, you know, King David, King Saul, and King Solomon all reign for 40 years. It's an important number, and we're going to see that in Acts. But he said he stayed on earth for, think of that, for 40 days. Can you imagine that? Forty days, the apostles sat there and and talked with Jesus, went with him, listened to him. Think of what it was, what it must have been like to have the Lord Jesus Christ, God Himself, with you in His resurrected physical form, but resurrected form, teaching you God's word, explaining God's word to you. Think of that. I mean, these men got an education in 40 days that nobody has ever had since. Would never get in four years of seminary. I mean, this is with the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself, teaching you his word. And he says there, after 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God, verse 4, and on one occasion, 
while he was eating with them. There's another thing to ponder. There's so many mysteries in the Bible. If, he, if it's in resurrected form, right? This is resurrected body. Why does he eat? But he's eating with them. He wanted to. Thank you. <laughs> Very good, Jerry. Good answer. He wanted to. He's eating with them. And he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus tells them, and and, and, this, and think of this anticipation. Can you put yourselves, if you can, into their place? Let's try to put ourselves in their place. And we're sitting there with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been teaching you. And, and what, what is it? the scriptures he's teaching? They have the Old Testament. This same thing the apostles did. They, when Apostle Paul went and visited synagogue, what did he do? He went to the Old Testament. And from the Old Testament, he proved that Jesus was the Messiah and he must die and rise again. He proved that from the Old Testament. And you can imagine as they went back and studied the Old Testament and Jesus taught them from the Old Testament and these themes jump out of the Old Testament that God is going to do something mighty and powerful. Jesus spoke about this himself when he sat on the Mount of Olives. And we call it the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25. Luke refers to it too in his, in his gospel where Jesus clearly taught that he was going to come again. But next time, he is not coming as a baby in a manger. An innocent, helpless baby, if you will. Next time, he says, every eye will see him. The heavens will split open and he will come in power and glory. And the Old Testament tells us he is coming to set up this messianic kingdom, this glorious kingdom on earth, where all will have to acknowledge, everybody will have to confess he is the Son of God. That was what they were told. That is what they were taught. And now he tells them, stay in Jerusalem, wait, just as John baptized with water to inaugurate, to prepare for my, my ministry and my passion, my death, burial, and resurrection. John inaugurated that three-year period with baptizing in water. He says, I, you are about to help inaugurate the new era when you are baptized by the Holy Spirit. I mean, what anticipation would this bring if you were one of those disciples? What would you be thinking? The anticipation that, that God is about to break forth and do something amazing. What, what would you think? Whoops, there we go again. This thing is really fast. And so they ask him in verse 6, and they ask him the most natural question in the world. There would have been something wrong, I think, if they didn't ask this question. He has been talking about this. He's been talking about the overall kingdom of God, the big picture kingdom of God. That is throughout the Bible. The Apostle Paul freely talks about the kingdom of God. All the apostles do. But Jesus also spoke about the messianic kingdom on earth. That is that Old Testament promise that there is coming a time Isaiah, where they will beat their swords into what? They will no longer learn war anymore. The lamb will lie down with the lion. This picture of a world, our world, 
Can you imagine this today? This Herman Wilkes introduction to War and Remembrance after he describes the horrors, the absolutely horror of World War II and how many hundreds of millions of people slaughtered. Slaughtered. And he, and he talks about that his, his, this, his thought is that, that he hopes that mankind will learn and humankind will learn to, that, 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 to, to put aside war. He wrote that in 1978. Next year will be 2018, right? And it hasn't happened, has it? Look at our world today. Look at our world today. Can you imagine our world today if Christ came and there was really peace on earth and all those weapons designed for killing were turned into farming utensils because you don't need them anymore. That's what that's what the kingdom of God was supposed to look like from the Old Testament. And it appears it is about to happen. And they say to him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time? Is it now? Is it the time? Friends, it is the most natural question in the world. It would have been something wrong if they didn't ask that question. I mean, this is where it all it fits together. It all comes together now. Now they get it. You know, there are many who criticize the apostles. Uh, you'd be surprised. Uh, the commentaries I read and studied and prepared for this, once again, I've read these before, throughout history, almost the, the majority, I would say almost, of commentaries criticize the apostles. Because you look at the Lord's answer. The Lord said to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He talked about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And many commentaries, good commentators, Read that and say, you see, the apostles just didn't get it again. What the Lord's trying to tell them is, you're thinking of a literal earthly kingdom on earth, and you never understood and you still don't understand that I'm talking about the principle of God's work in the heart of every human being in, in the world. Now, that is certainly true. But I, frankly, I don't criticize the apostles. I don't think the Lord, he didn't, he could have said like he did in the gospels, oh, you of little faith, right? He could have said, well, you go, you just don't get it. Let me tell you. He, he did that. He had no trouble doing that in the gospels, but he doesn't do that. He just simply says, it's not for you to know. You don't need to speculate. You just go and do what I'm telling you to do. I don't criticize the apostles. I don't think the Lord criticized the apostles because they asked the most natural question in the world. Which I would have asked too if I were in their shoes. So it's now, right? I mean, why wouldn't it be? He died. He rose from the dead. He's taught them. He's prepared them. They're all looking forward to this. They are people who have been beaten down. They have been promised a land. They have been promised a kingdom. They have been promised the Messiah. Why wouldn't it be now? Well, we're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. But Jesus has said, it's not for you to know. And friends, I'm going to just slip in a little reminder here too. It's not for you and me to know either. You know, I hope you've noticed 
we don't get involved in speculation. I don't set dates up here. I don't set hours. I don't set, um, yes, are things moving toward the time when Christ is going to return? Of course they are. Well, I can tell you this for sure. We're one day closer than we were yesterday. I know that for sure. Okay? Times are moving. And we can see God working. No doubt about that. But you've got to find that balance. Okay? Jesus says it's not for you to know the times and seasons. But what is for you to know is what I'm going to tell you to do. And he tells him what to do. He tells him, you are going to be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. Okay? That is the context. What would you think? He asked them exactly what they should have asked. Luke and Acts. We're going to come back to that theme a little bit, okay? We'll come back to that. The Lord's response. But what is next? Now, here's Theophilus, whoever he is. But he's a real person, I believe, okay? He's a real person, a real man. He got this first huge volume from Luke about the Gospels that Luke wanted him to understand. This is true. What I'm telling you is true. I've talked to these people. I, inter- I, I researched. I'm, I did my research. I did my study. I, I'm telling you, this is what happened. I talked. I think he talked to Mary. I don't know where else he would have got those intimate details. Who, how else? Who else but Mary could have told him about the conversation, you know, with God? Right? Who else could have dare explain this conversation about the virgin birth but Mary? John, James, John, you know, Peter, James, and John were in the Mount of Transfiguration. I think he talked to them. And, and he says, listen, here, here it is. This is what I've given you. And Theophilus finished that book. He finished volume one, eagerly awaiting volume two. And he gets it. And he's reading it for the first time. He may not have known what happened. He may not have been in Jerusalem. He may have just heard fragments. He, he knows, but, but he gets the first-hand account from Luke, who once again interviewed everybody and then traveled with the Apostle Paul. We know that because later on in the book of Luke, the author of Acts, in the book of Acts, the author says, we. So we know the author's with him. So he got it firsthand. What's next? He's reading this. What is it? How does the story complete? How does the story end? Luke and Acts, two volumes, but one big theme. You see, most oftentimes we look at Luke and say, well, Luke is the story of Jesus' life, and Acts is the story of the apostles. The word Acts, where we get, actually, where we get the title, by the way, it's really not in the book, but where it came from, it's the Greek word praxis for doing something, for acting. That's all, it just says, these things happened. They did these things. Obviously, it's the apostles. And so the book was called Acts of the Apostles. In the Greek New Testament, it just says praxis, Acts. And it's called Acts, but Acts of the Apostles. But I want to suggest to you, that's not the big theme. It's not about just the apostles. That's not necessarily the theme. Luke and Acts. Luke, what is it? It's the story of salvation offered while Christ is on earth. Luke chapter 24. Let me read it to you. How Luke, look how Luke ends 
how Luke ends his his epistle. It ends in Luke chapter 24, verse 45. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This is the 40 days. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day. Now listen, this is how it ends. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Sound familiar in the book of Acts? When he he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them, was taken up into heaven, and they worshipped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple in Jerusalem, by the way, praising God. Now listen, the story of Luke is not just the life of Jesus. It's the story of salvation, forgiveness for sins, the blood atonement, the resurrection, that there is hope. And even before he died on the cross, Jesus forgave sins. People put faith in him. And he says, you you are saved. You are forgiven. It's the story of salvation. It's not just stories of Jesus. It's the story of salvation. The book of Luke, I want to suggest to you. Christ is now in heaven. It is not just the story of the apostles. It is their message. Jesus is working through them. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Father are working through these apostles and men and women that they encounter in lives that are changed. It's the story of salvation. Amen? It's the story of salvation. And you'll notice... In Luke chapter, as we finish Luke now, we'll conclude for today. In Luke chapter 1, as this part of the, of the introduction to this, uh, this book ends, it says this, after he said this, verse 9, look at the similarities to Luke. He was taken up before, I'm looking from Acts, Acts chapter 1, sorry, Acts chapter 1, verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. I love this story. Isn't this great? They're doing what we did a couple of weeks ago with the eclipse, right? You either had glasses on and were looking at the sky, or you were somewhere where you could do that. Or I joined Kevin out here in the parking lot, and he had a cardboard thing like this, right? And we were looking at it best we could. And then I saw Mark and Amico Prigmore over in the parking lot, went over to talk to them, and they graciously let me use their glasses and I was gazing at the sun during the eclipse, right? They're looking at the sky. They're gazing at this miracle of Jesus going to heaven. And all of a sudden they're aware there's, there's two men standing next to them. There's two men standing. It doesn't say angels, but we assume they are. They were dressed in white. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? He's maybe gone now. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. We stood on the Mount of Olives and looked over that beautiful city, Jerusalem. 
a Sabbath day's walk, and they arrived, they went upstairs to the upper room where they had communion probably. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. Listen, friends, what links these two epistles together? You know what it is? It's the ascension of Jesus Christ. Look at it. Acts begins in verse 1 after He was taken up into heaven. And the section we looked at ends with the same thing. And then in, 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 in Luke, it's, it's the same thing. Luke ends with the ascension. Friends, it's the ascension of Jesus Christ that links these two epistles together. Why? Because it is the story of Jesus and salvation offered to humanity. The Gospels and Acts. Listen, friends, the reason we're going to look at this book together, the reason why it's important, is this historical stories from the book of Acts. This is my story, and it's your story. The story, you'll notice, the book of Acts, the story does not end. It does not end in the book of Acts. We don't even know what happens to Paul according to Acts. He just, he's done. He's in prison. The book ends. It's over. He doesn't die. He's, it, that's it. Why? It's not a story of the life of Paul. It's not a story of the life of the apostles. It's a story of the gospel and how it went and how this story and the chapters in this story. We're going to look at these chapters. The chapters of the offer of the kingdom to Israel. We're going to see a new chapter, the church, the body of Christ, which is you and me, where now the gospel goes to everybody completely apart from any connection to the Mosaic or Jewish law or Jerusalem. It's a people of God called from all nations, all races, for the last 2,000 years, all ethnicities, who are called by God to come freely, simply through the grace of God and receive forgiveness for sins. We're in that chapter today. The story has not ended. So friends, as we read the book of Acts, I want you to remember, this is our story The story is still going on. And God has given us the privilege of sharing this message, being a part of this story, and it's going to continue until He returns to earth and sets up His wonderful, beautiful, glorious Messianic kingdom. That's the last chapter of that story on earth before the new heavens and the new earth. It's worth our time spending the book of Acts. Come up and we're going to finish our service with a song this morning. But as they do, I do want to remind you that, you know that list of names I just read to you of the, of the apostles, the disciples, the apostles? I do want to remind you, every one of them, every one of them we know from church history was martyred, including Paul, who was added, right? Matthias, others who became apostles, they were all murdered because of their commitment to the Word of God and to the importance of the message of salvation. So if you get discouraged, if you get a little pushback, if you get a little conflict for being a Christian, for sharing the gospel and presenting it, the love and grace of God, um, just remember, 
That was their, that is their story in Acts because it wasn't about them. It's about God and the message of his wonderful salvation. Let's stand and conclude our service in our last song. Amen. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot to slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are our God. We can call you Father today. And Lord, we trust in you. We trust our lives to you. We thank you for the gospel of salvation. Now we are sinners simply saved by grace because you chose to love us and you chose to give us your grace. We pray you'll watch over our families. Think of these children and our youth that are here with us today. We pray not only will you watch over them, but you will work in them mightily as they grow into young men and women to serve you. And Father, this week, I know there are many from this congregation who are going to begin the journey with Bible Study Fellowship this year. And we look forward to the group that meets in our church as they meet throughout our communities. Uh, Lord, I want to ask your blessing on those who are committing to this. It's a big commitment, but they're going to study your word together just as we do here each Sunday. And Lord, uh, we know you can't help but bless people who are studying your word. And so we put that in your hands and we are excited to be a part of that at our church as well. Dismiss us now with your presence and with the joy of the Holy Spirit as we continue living the chapter of this history of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.